Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and innovation in both consumer technology and consumer products. If you're enjoying this content, you could subscribe to my newsletter, theconsumervc.substack.com to get each new episode and more consumer news delivered straight to your inbox. My guest today is Abigail Cook-Stone, the founder of Otherland. Otherland transforms your home into an immersive world that never stands still with their amazing scented candles. We discuss how her attraction to design led her to candles, what was missing from the market in her mind, and how she approached her supply chain, gain off the ground and scale. If you're interested in starting a Diginator brand, I highly recommend this one. It was a real treat chatting with Abigail. Without further ado, here she is. Abigail, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Uh, This is going to be fun. Really excited to dive in. I'm thrilled to dive in. And actually, I have a quick question for you first, which is, are you a candle guy? I do love candles. Yes. We actually light one every night. I will admit that it's my wife is the one who's lighting and actually purchases (laughs) the candles. But I do enjoy uh, candles for sure. Well, okay. I love to hear that. And the nightly ritual is the most important thing. We love seeing those uh, habitual burning behaviors, but it's such a great way to relax, unwind after a long day. So that's great. I love that burning behaviors. That's great. That's great. Yes. What was your initial attraction to design? Because I know you, you originally come from a design background. Yeah. So design and art has definitely been a a lifelong love for me. From a very young age, yeah, my something my mom really instilled in me, taking me on trips to the museum in Boston where I grew up. And I actually ended up studying art history in college, going and working at at Ralph Lauren, um, first in in buying and merchandising for their .com and, and then in art acquisitions, actually. So buying the art for the stores and showrooms globally and uh, the polo bar in New York. Um, if you've been, that was my last project, but have always just, I think, taken from her, had that love for design and art. And I'm, I'm no artist myself, but um, have so much respect for them. So it's something that I'd had an eye on. And, you know, as you get older and become more aware of graphic design and kind of the everyday design around you, objects and things and so forth, it just continued to be a a big love of mine. That's amazing. Now, when it came to, as you say, as you get older, and you look at all the different types of design. Why did you decide to, what attracted you maybe physical products over graphics per se? Yeah, I'm a product person. You know, I, I love uh, getting my hands on product, touching it, feeling it, smelling it, and just being immersed in that that tactile, multi-sensory product experience. And even when I was a kid, I would do taste tests and different consumer reviews of, of something I guess my parents encouraged, but just loved um, playing with products kind of building things and and making things, even as sort of crude and uh, haphazard as as those were, but love getting my hands dirty and just was really drawn to that. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so with all this being said, where did your love for candles originate? 
I will say I've had a long, long-term passion, perhaps obsession with, with candles and scent. And growing up, I was not allowed to have any candles because, of course, I was a kid. You can't have fire um, in your own control as a kid. But I think I had like a babysitter maybe who had this Yankee candle. It smelled like frosting. And I thought that was so cool. I really wanted one. Of course, my mom said, that's absolutely crazy. You can't have a candle, your child. So I kind of aspired to have my own candle. As silly as that sounds, as I got older and went to college, of course, you can't have them in the dorms. And so finally got my first apartment. I bought a candle, felt like I kind of made it as an adult, but it was really as I got a bit older in my 20s. And so I always thought I would start a business, always saw myself as as a builder at a lot of kid businesses as well. I didn't really have my big idea for it. And of course, I'd studied art history. And so I, I felt like I didn't have really a business background. So I actually ended up going to Columbia Business School to try to make this big career uh, transition. And that felt a little bit scary. I I had tried to get into the startup world before uh, coming out of art acquisitions at Ralph Lauren, but it it wasn't a skill set that seemed directly transferable. And I, you know, I didn't really know anyone in startups. I I didn't have that network or community at that point. Um, And so it felt really inaccessible. And actually, I'll tell you the beginning of my transition into the world of startups, and of course, getting my idea for other was really by listening to podcasts. That was what was accessible to me, a way to access this startup world that seemed so out of reach. And so I would listen to podcasts pretty much any second of the day when I wasn't at work or not secretly listening to a podcast at work and and toggling back and forth. But I absorbed as much information as I could and learned about different investors and startups and When I got to Columbia, that helped kind of push me towards maybe thinking, well, you know, maybe I could work in venture capital and and learn about all these businesses. And that might be a good way for for me to get some exposure there and get, you know, get my toe in. But of course, you know, I didn't have much experience relevant to that, but was able to figure out a way to kind of market myself and position myself. I did have a bit of e-commerce experience from Ralph Lauren. And so I was first able to get a role at, at Dorm Room Fund, which is First Round Capital's student uh, venture capital fund. And uh, they cut, you know, ideally the, it's a first check into new businesses, but there are different partners at universities around the country. And so that was sort of my first step. And from there, ended up at Founder Collective, uh, the seed stage fund uh, in the New York office, and met with, it was an incredible experience there. They're a fantastic team, but met with many of the direct-to-consumer brands that were coming up, the luggage brands, the dog food brands, et cetera. And so I was actually working on a different kind of startup concept. And there were a number of hackathons and launch your startup courses at, at Columbia that kind of helped me put some initial ideas together. But it, it was for, it was a software product, which it wasn't quite right for me. And it wasn't a great idea anyway. And so I was in my last semester of, of school, something called the Columbia uh, greenhouse program. So this was a so application you had to apply to get in. So it was the Columbia accelerator for graduating uh, second years. So 
So I was in the greenhouse program for a different idea. And then I just had this day where I realized maybe it was February that I was burning candles every day. I would do my morning meditation with Headspace app, even just for 10 minutes, I'd light a candle. I'd come home after class, doing homework, exhausted, plop down on the couch, turn on the TV, light a candle, and suddenly it would be me time. So I really just love the sort of transformative power of candles and home scents, but felt like there wasn't a brand for me. End of the spectrum, you have the luxury brands, which have these wonderful, sophisticated fragrances, very layered and nuanced. The the price, it's just so expensive that I felt like if I could even afford to buy a luxury candle, I would be afraid to burn it. It's, it just sits there on, on your coffee table collecting dust. You know, nobody wants to burn their money. So that's one end of the spectrum. And then on the other end, you have the, the more affordable brands, but you know, it's so much of this artificial, cloyingly sweet uh, bakery scents and lackluster design. So it felt like there could be this white space in the middle where it turned out we could work with the same top fragrance houses and perfumers as the luxury brands, like literally the same people and do it at a much more accessible price. And so that was kind of the first part of it was realizing like, I think that there is this market here, then starting to go through the motions of, you know, let's, let's really dig in talking to my friends, talking to everyone. I met my Uber driver, yes, the person next to me at the bar on Friday night, every single person I met, I would ask, are you a candle person? What brands are you buying? How often are you lighting them? And trying to start assemble some research. And what I found was similarly to the way that your burning behaviors are, candles passed the toothbrush test of everyday use, right? So people are, for a lot, a lot of millennials and Gen Z, they are burning them every day, every other day. It's part of these daily rituals. And that kind of addictive, frequent consumption behavior was really appealing and really, I think, gave me some initial confidence that there, there could be something here. Yeah, I would love to hear about how were you able to even convince manufacturers to, you know, sign you up on board, right? These luxury manufacturers and kind of how you actually developed it. But I understand in terms of the premise that what you were seeing is that, all right, you saw a lot of folks having that nightly ritual. Um, Of course, that means on sales wise, you know, an increase in velocity. So you did see like a velocity in terms of what if you did start a business in candling in the candle industry, how the economics could actually work, but would love to kind of hear more. Yeah. So um, had initially you know, made those observations, starting to do my research, starting to buy lots of different candles from, from the market, testing them, seeing what, what do I like? What do I not like? Key Candle must be the leading candle brand, but it's not. It's Bath & Body Works. And I'm not sure how closely you've followed Bath & Body Works. Bath & Body Works is just a shining star market giant that has had wild growth the last 12 or so years. And there are 1,700 Bath and Body Works stores in America. uh, And their candle business has been a big part of of that growth. It went from 15% of their revenue to now over 40% in in about a decade. So looking at all of this and, uh, you know, testing everything out, I realized that for me to first take that, take that step into getting, learning more about the manufacturing, I needed to 
manufacture candles myself and learn the ropes. So I found a website. I could buy wax. I got a melt pot, a candy thermometer. I bought some fragrances online and I just started, you know, kind of mixing things together and pouring them for actually my classmates uh, from, from the greenhouse program. Um, my first first ever candle was given to Sarah Ribner, who is the founder of Piper Y Natural Deodorant. She's on Shark Tank. So she got some for a, a, a bride, bridal shower she was going to. But just, you know, getting my hands dirty, starting to make them and learning things like it's not one size of wick fits all. So the wick has to be optimized to the diameter of the glass container. It has to be optimized to the particular composition of the fragrance itself. Are the molecules big? Are they small? And that uh, affects the braid, the weave, the fiber thickness of the wick to create an optimal burn, an optimal melt pool so that you're getting the best fragrance experience. So getting that initial candle making experience, becoming a chandler, that's the word for it, a candle maker myself, that equipped me with some confidence that I could start talking to candle manufacturers. So I found the National Candle Association website and I started at the top of the list and just started calling them. And there was definitely a lot of, I think, some old school mentalities where they won't share what's in their their wax blend. They say that's proprietary. Definitely some people who were kind of not interested, you know, it, it's a, a new brand or who are you? You have to have a huge run. So I really wanted to find the right partner who is open about ingredients and able to have a more innovative mindset that we could work with and, and was able to find that partner. Now on the the fragrance side, that was a totally different situation. So for me, having studied art history and worked in the art world, I have a fairly established vocabulary when it comes to a, a visual vocabulary. But in terms of describing scent, my olfactive vocabulary, that was so hard. I didn't know how to say, I love the way this grapefruit smells, but not this one because of this reason. I, I, it was, I didn't know how to identify the specific notes. My nose just wasn't trained. And, and I, that was a huge challenge at first. And, and I ended up, um, I would buy fine candles in the market that I liked. And I bought these little plastic pots and I would dig out wax from those and put them in the pots and I would bring them with me and say or mailed or mail I actually mailed them to some fragrance houses I like this one not this one because I, I didn't know how else to communicate so that was really where we started but fragrance houses um, that was a big hurdle I had tried reaching out to there are a few big ones, and so, and they're really the best in the business. The, the top brands work with them. I tried reaching out, nothing. I'd heard they don't work with startups, they work with big names Tom Ford, Ariana Grande. It, they're not going to open up for a startup, a brand that's pre launch. You, you know, you don't even have anything. So, I got one meeting with someone, and we had a nice meeting, but she wouldn't respond to my follow-up emails. So finally, this is a funny story. Uh, a friend of mine is getting married and for her bachelorette party, which was at Lavo of all places, one of these boozy brunches, she had a friend who worked at Fermanish, which is one of the, the big fragrance houses. And she sat her friend strategically next to me at the table and I was prepared. 
I had renderings of the product on my phone, you know, ready for whenever anyone asked me about it or to show people I met when I was talking about candles. So I had my photos ready. We're talking. I showed her the product. I told her the idea. And she said, I completely get it. I do think there's a hole in the market too. I totally see the vision. Let me introduce you to my boss. And her boss believed in in me from the beginning and was able to to get us in uh, with, with the best of the best perfumers and really took this risk on us. But it was kind of unheard of in in the fragrance world. I think, you know, they want a starting contract to start at a hundred grand. And, you know, we we certainly didn't have that kind of money at that point. So it's all about a lot of hustle and just continuing to find creative ways to to get an edge and get in. No, I I appreciate you sharing that story. How as well did you think about, because I know a lot of manufacturers have, of course, minimum order quantity. I remember talking to Ariel K from Parachute and and Sarah LaFleur at MM LaFleur, and and they were both saying how it can be kind of scary because you're kind of pushing the button for the minimum order that manufacturers uh, require. How did you think about this question of when you were placing your first order and how did you also think about SKUs as well? And imagine with candles, there's a lot of variety um, that, that uh, a lot of different scents, a lot of different smells. And so how did you think about as well as what were the right SKUs to, to start with? Sure. So as we initially, you know, we got into the fragrance house, developing the product strategy is of course, such a big part of those those beginning months. And in addition to working with the top perfumers, the other part of what we've done that's made us pretty different, so we're digitally natives, so we launched online, um, but we're a visual forward candle brand. So what that means is that we really believe the future of home fragrance, it's not just about the candle smelling good, it also has to be visual forward and use expressive storytelling through artwork and design to really stand out in the digital space. So on our website, on social media, all important. If it doesn't look like much, you're not going to be able to identify it and sort of build a brand around it. And so that's where art came in. So we work with a different artist for each collection. And so we have a core collection. So this is what we launched with. So five SKUs, they're year-round favorite scents. They're without season, so you can burn them any time of the year. And then we have uh, these these artist editions. And so they're seasonal. We've got thematic as well. So something like the Carefree 1990s collection, which is really fun, a bunch of nostalgic scents. Um, scent is the strongest trigger of memory, of course, of memory and emotion in the brain. Uh, olfactive input goes right to the amygdala and the hippocampus, which are the areas closely associated with memory and emotion. And so you can have a strong sense of deja vu smelling something for a second time, but that's a really powerful um, tool for us. And so we've really leaned into creating these seasonal scent collections and the vibes of the collection, the vibe, the colors, style. The artwork completely changes for each collection, which is really fun. So we wanted to set up a system where we could work with these different artists and create kind of a canvas for for their artwork on the candle label, the jar color, our special uh, candle lid, which we designed called the topper, and the packaging, and we do a collectible matchbox as well. 
So it was both a system that was, I think, a little bit scary at the beginning because having seasonal inventory, you don't want to get stuck at the end of the season with too much inventory, knowing that you can't sell it year round. So we we really had to be careful there and sort of start small, but we needed kind of a modular system and a system architecture, both with our our candles and with the packaging. So MOQs, we optimized for at the beginning, finding vendors who were more niche, who were able to do the smaller runs and really set up for that. And it was hard to do, but people are, are out there. And I think especially in the candle industry where there are often, you know, corporate gifts or there are other reasons that people are looking to do small runs. That's what made the most sense for us at the beginning. So using our, our, our work forward strategy, we can really tell the different collection stories. We can use it on, on social and with the storytelling there, the visuals. They're just engaging. They're emotional. It, it, it stirs your, your everything, but it helps us to overcome this challenge of, how do you sell scent online? You can't smell through the internet. And it's through these compelling, emotionally resonating graphics and artwork that get people to, to cross that bridge and, and to, to buy a candle without smelling it first. Yeah, no, those are great points. And yeah, it reminds me, I mean, at our last summit, we had a, uh, a whole panel about how designated brands are selling you know, physical products where you can't feel, you can't touch, you can't taste, or you can't smell in your case the product as well. So I find it all very, very fascinating. And of course, since people just in general have become a lot more comfortable buying products online, I'd imagine that's quite advantage for you. When you receive the products, and it's really interesting to hear about the business model where you have your five SKUs that's when you started that are for all seasons, they're all around. So those you can make very large purchase orders for. But then you also have these seasonal products that are much smaller purchase orders for since they only, they do have an expiration when that season ends. But how did you as well think once you received your first batch of, of SKUs, those those five initial SKUs, what was your go-to market strategy and product launch? And, and maybe where did you feel like potential customers online spent their time? Sure. So for our launch, so we had our our product strategy and we were launching with our five core collection candles. We launched on December 12th of 2017, which is kind of an odd time to be launching uh, in December, right before the holidays, but kind of, you know, in the middle of the the holiday shopping season. Um, And that was, I had put a stake in the ground and said, we must launch in 2017. So we were going to make it happen no matter what. Um, our go-to-market strategy was we wanted to get some uh, press going. So we did hire a PR firm to help us get that story out there and start building a little bit of credibility there. We did some influencer, so some organic uh, gifting, so on unpaid and then we also, we really believe in not being totally reliant on paid social as is, of course, uh, the lure in, in, uh, in direct-to-consumer brands um, being digitally native. So we've always been pretty aware of that and wanting to not be reliant on that. So we actually launched without any paid social ads. 
Right. It's so hard launching a completely new brand. Like your brand like falls out of the sky, like the web page is live and you've got to build trust with customers and trust, especially important for a candle since you're not smelling it first. And it was harder than I thought to get initial traffic to the site. The good news is it builds, you figure out what's working and what's not. We did do like a referral program, um, but that it wasn't moving too much. We didn't have enough of an offer. You try different offers. You try larger influencer send outs. You do do a referral code with influencers and then getting into other marketing channels. But at the beginning, early days, it was definitely a chaotic launch we had the, the wrong labels on the wrong candles and we we're shipping the candles ourselves. So we were just happy to get product out the door and figured let's get through the next 10 days of this holiday and then we'll figure out how to sell the rest of them um, as we really build our strategy. Amazing. Amazing. I think that's also great that you didn't spend money on ads because it shows, it also kind of proves the very early days, is there a real consumer pull towards these products, right? Or is it just advertising? Because as you know, you know, growth marketing for Facebook and Google, it's very, you don't really have those arbitrage opportunities like you did in early 2010s. So it's really hard to grow. What made you think that you wanted to be um, venture backed as opposed to bootstrapping? We knew that there was a huge market opportunity and that it would take some money to get there and to grow in a sound way, but but to grow quickly, but some initial investments in the product, in the brand, and a number of other things that venture made sense for us and and with the time frame that we had in mind. But venture does not make sense for, for everyone. And we really are we're just excited to find the the right partners there. And we in, in at the very beginning, well, so I graduated from Columbia and thought I'm going to raise a million dollars this summer and I'm going to go to, to, you know, pitch to anyone. I must've gone to 60 or pitch meetings, uh, with angels, with VCs, with anyone who would, would talk to me. And everybody said no, it was, it was a rough summer. So we were pre-launch, um, and I had talked to manufacturers, but I knew I needed to get some initial capital to do some of the product design to, to really get those true product samples. And so I just gotten an away suitcase and I had filled it with candles from the market so that I would have something to show in pitch meetings. I could say, you know, smell this, smell how bad this smells or smell this. Can you believe it costs a hundred dollars? So things where I could make it interactive, but I was living on the sixth floor of a walk up in the West Village, you know, a little 200 square foot apartment in the summer hauling this suitcase of candles up and down the floors, the stairs every day for each meeting. And I was just exhausted by the end of it. Most people said, we think the market is is really interesting, but it's too early for us. Come back when you have a brand or, you know, maybe we we're not as excited about the market, but you know, you, you seem okay, but we're not ready yet. Somebody said yes. And so that initial bit of, of capital was enough to get some of the early branding and design work done. And as soon as uh, really we had 
some of those initial mock-ups, that became a lot easier for people to wrap their head around bringing the vision to life. And so pitching became easier after that point. When was the moment that maybe venture capitalists actually became interested? It was really getting through, I think, that that first year. And so in the first year, we so we launched the core collection. We then had a Valentine's Day candlegram gifting set. We had our first, this was an artist-branded edition collaboration with uh, artist Amber Vittoria, who is incredible. And that was, you know, one, one marketing tactic was investing in the product and, and working with collaborators. We had a Spring Awakening collection, uh, a Summer Beach Club collection. We did a collaboration sent with The Wing at the time. So that was burning in all of their spaces, which is another great customer acquisition tool for us at that moment. We had a a Fall Manor House weekend collection and and holiday, Gilded Holiday. So we kind of gotten through a, a year of product development and innovation. And and we had some selling and sales under our belt. um, And we're starting to accelerate a bit. And I think showing that momentum of and and we were a team of me and Sayed, who's my boyfriend, um, and we had one other person. And we also did all the shipping ourselves. (laughs) And so getting through that that first year, and we did, we did a ton. I mean, looking back, that's a lot of, of product development and figuring out how to run a business and and so forth. Just such a small team. So coming off of that, we, we had things to show and it was it was a good time to to pique a little interest in the venture world and start to try to raise. But having some actual data that you can point to, some sales figures was was really important. And I think it did make a difference that we really hadn't tapped into to paid yet. So what is next for Otherland? Um, what do you have planned in towards the end of the year and also uh, uh, next year? Yeah, so we are very much in season right now. It's candle season um, for, so yep, fall and holiday. So the second half of the year is huge for us. We have a really strong, we've got a particular fall scent that is is a big hit, a a couple of them, uh, cardamom milk, which is this frothy, creamy cardamom milk, uh, a little bit of praline in there. So it's sort of an elevated answer to pumpkin spice. So we have two fall collections that are out that are fabulous. We just had our Gilded Holiday collection go live, and then November 9th, we are launching a brand new collection called Adorned for the holidays that is going to be absolutely magical. So it's six new scents, new artwork, packaging. The artwork is so cool. It's by uh, an artist in Paris named Aria Haliba. She works in digital collage. And we have a couple new formats and, and sizes and special options that will be debuting in the next month. So having a lot of great holiday offerings, big and small for people who are interested. And we do do a sale once a year. It's our only sale of the year. So that is Thanksgiving through Cyber Monday. So that is coming up. Uh, We've got some great offers and yeah, getting through holiday and and the holiday shipping cutoff getting into December. and, And I know for Supply chain has been a huge challenge for so many brands and and over the last year, I I think maybe different challenges now than there were last year at this time, but all very complicated. So our team has been working 
night and day to ensure our inventory is in hand and arrives on time. And so there will be candles for Christmas, which is good. So yeah, getting all stocked up for that. And then we've got an exciting 2022. Um, Lots of new scents, new concepts. Um, The future is bright. What's one piece of advice that you have for founders? I think it is to adopt this test, kill, test, kill, test, kill mindset as quickly as you can and instill that in the members of your team where you're just constantly experimenting and trying to figure out what works. If it doesn't work, move on and not something that may have worked in resonating with your customers a month ago, a year ago, whatever. It it may not work today. It may not work in a month. And you just constantly have to be nimble and on your toes to be creative and figure out what are those new tweaks and channels and avenues that that you can use to to do so. And if I had to give one other piece of advice would be to build something people love and that when you really are devoting yourself to that that customer connection and focus so much on their reaction response, their emotion in regards to the product um, and creating something that really resonates with them, you can do no wrong there. And that is something that will spread by word of mouth that will make people happy and pushing yourself to hit the right technical, emotional elements of the product and, and the product quality itself is a worthy endeavor. Abigail, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks thanks so much for coming on the show. No, thank you. This is so fun. I so appreciate it. No, this has been a pleasure. Thanks again. And there you have it. It was awesome chatting with Abigail. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to follow me, your host, Mike, on Twitter, at Mike Gelb, and also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. Thanks for listening, everyone.